Hey everybody, it's Kendall from Recording Lounge. It is January 23rd, 2012. Thank you for joining us, and uh, we're really glad to have you listening to the show. Thanks a ton. Um, I actually just I actually just headed over to iTunes and read some of the uh, comments on the podcast. Thank you guys so much for some of the nice things you guys have said. Um, I really, really appreciate those. And, and you know, if, if you haven't made a review on the on the iTunes podcast, like, I'd really appreciate it. Obviously, I don't know if you didn't because I don't know who you are listening to him. But if you do, I really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for all the nice things. And thanks for the emails and the comments and questions and whatnot. Um, really appreciate it. And uh, I hope I'm giving you guys good information that you guys can use and, and answering questions if, that you have. It's so hard to find good information sometimes. It's like you go on a forum and you just get yelled at for being a noob or something. And it's like, okay, I don't care if you're a noob. Everybody's a noob at some time. So anyway... Um, today's show is actually going to be split up into three different shows. Um, first show is going to be talking with my session drummer, Josh. Um, he has been featured on the show on a couple of different drum sessions that we've done mixing-wise. And um, super solid drummer. I got a chance to talk to him on the phone. He's a busy guy, so I couldn't get in. Um, then the next show, we've got uh, my session bass player, Les. And then I've got my session keyboard player, Ross. And then I'm also kind of putting myself under the microscope and talking about session guitar playing because I'm a guitar player. So hopefully these uh, sets of shows, I'm going to release them all this week. So um, maybe not all on the same day. Hopefully within the next couple days I'll be releasing them. But uh, today's show will be with Josh. And um, so look for the other ones. I know that I've got different musicians that are listening to the show, guitar players, drummers, whatever. Uh, Some of you might not even play an instrument, and that's okay. But um, there's some really great information with these guys. Uh, basically, asked them kind of a slew of questions about, you know, what do they use? What, how do they pick parts? How, you know, what is good? What is good to them? Um, things like that. So soak it up. Like, I, if I had to really b- boil it down, I would say the instruments you use and the parts you play, and you know, the quality of the musicianship is easily fifty percent. Um, of a good recording, a great musician will know how to play the instrument. They'll they'll feel the instrument in their hands, or you know whatever. They'll feel it, and it'll feel right. Um, you know the thing, the way it's moving them, the way it's making them play. Um, it's about feel, and it's about the musician. And I know that's kind of tough to understand. I know you've probably heard people say that, and you're like, "What the heck? I don't understand it." But it's fine. Basically, as you listen to these interviews, um, you know they're pretty short. Each one is maybe 20 minutes um, to an hour. Uh, not that long even. Um, but just just take take a listen to them and, and really try to soak up what they're saying and understand that these guys are really talented musicians and, and I look up to them greatly. So without further ado, here is Josh and myself talking about session drumming. Okay, everyone, this is uh, talking with my session drummer, Josh. I have talked about him before and probably played a couple of drum demos with him on there. We've talked about drum mixing and stuff. Um, and that's probably him playing. And uh, so Josh is here to help us understand a little bit about playing drums in the studio. Sort of, sort of what he what he does to prepare or all these things that are different about studio than uh, playing live. So Josh, thank you for talking with us. Of course. Glad to help. Okay, so first question is, what, what do you think are the biggest differences between playing in the studio and uh, playing live? Man. They are worlds apart in my mind because, you know, playing live is, is more about capturing the moment of, of, you know, that's what you're trying to get across. You're playing live. It's more 
I view it honestly more as, as a just like a, a one-off performance, I guess you could say. Studio is man, it's more about capturing. First of all, I guess I would approach it. You know, I, I want to do the artist justice. With that, you know, you've got to go into it with the mindset of being open. <laughs> you know, first yeah. and foremost, you know, you got to remain open. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, they are—they're paying you because they know that you're talented, but they're also kind of expecting. It's—it's—it's it's, it's kind of a funny thing. They're expecting you to basically play what they would play if they could play it. You can't. You can't come in thinking, you know, they hired me because I'm good or whatever. You know, you've got to go in with a servant attitude, being ready to serve whoever doing the song. You know, you got to be ready and willing to work with engineers. You just have to have a great personality. And honestly, that is going to outweigh your playing 10 times at the end of the day. Yeah, that's totally true. I mean, if you have a good personality and you're totally open, um, you know, any session player, not just a drummer, but anyone, you know, and you go in and you're just like, hey, man, I'm I'm, I'm a mind for molding. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. Then, you exactly. know, they love you that way. And I mean... Yeah, you're going to get you're gonna get way more callbacks than you get that way. You know, I could be the greatest drummer this world has ever seen, you know, but if I'm a jerk, I mean... And you, yeah, and you I'm go in and you're like, oh yeah, this is the part that I think sounds best, and, you know, no one's going to call you back. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, that, it kind of falls into the category of uh, just being a smart musician, being a smart drummer, knowing that, you know, having kind of ideas of, uh, of listening to a song and and have your own way that you know that you really want to do it, but really trying to form that into the uh, into the thought process of the person who's recording the tune. Yeah. Now, do you find that, um, just, I know from working with me, you know, it's usually just you and me in the studio, but, um, you know, if there's a situation where, have you ever played uh, in a studio where, like, the artist is there and it's kind of been, like, like, a struggle, like, annoying you, almost like telling you to play something different, or... Yeah, uh, I mean, it kept, it's happened many of times, um, just with other, it, it just the other session work that I've done. It, it, sometimes it can be a little unnerving, you know, when you know that, like, I, I recorded for a, an album guy, um, he lives in Chicago now, but uh, he's very, very opinionated on drum parts. Like, he wants me, like, I, I honestly, I had to chart out drum part because wow. he wanted to go for you know he, he was the guitarist you know he's really into 90s 90s music um which really wasn't that bad because I was too yeah, so yeah. Um, but he uh he had in mind you know exactly what he wanted to do like exactly I mean he had parts you know in little demos that sent me that like okay learn these parts do them you know you get into the studio and I mean Honestly, if I have to play those parts, you know, and, and there are times where you may get frustrated, you may, like I said, it can be unnerving, you know, when the guy's standing there, you know, watching you play everything he exactly wants to say, you know, play, but, yeah. you know, it, I did it, you know, and it worked, it sounded yeah, it's great, almost, it's, almost just like, great. it's almost just like loop building at that point. It is, I mean, a lot of it is. Today's stuff, you know, technology that you can do now. Yeah, yeah. I think you were telling me about something. Maybe it was that session or something where you play. You you would just play like half the song, and then they just like cut it up and loop it. Yeah, they cut it, build it, man. Like I play, I play three or four different grooves, 
like he would pick the one that he really liked. Cut loop that. I'd play attack first, where you know where I do a fill coming out of it. That way, it would still have continuity instead yeah. of just playing the fill and adding it in. You um, overdub that going into first. You know, you do the same thing almost with the chorus. You know, and I'm a fan of that if time is you know if if time is a big concern. So yeah, yeah. But you know, it, I love it like. Sectioning out songs, like in my mind, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think it's fine. You're able to, to get good ideas out, you know, in that quantity and piece them together, you know. But there, there's still something is, you know, it, it's just on the artist again, you know, and the music that you're recording because sometimes it does sound great. It does sound, you know, awesome to get that huge feel if you're doing a whole one baker, you know. Yeah. Like there's something pure about that that I, I, I love, you know. Yeah, and see, when you and I do stuff, it's usually all just straight through. I mean, yeah. you know, we'll chop it up later, but we like to get, I like to get the energy of it all the way through. Um, yeah, you're exactly right. Like, there's something, like I said, there's something that just, it feels good about playing an entire take. Yeah. You know, getting all of all of your emotion, you know, you know, the dynamic, you know, at the end of the day, it kind of, it, it, it helps out with, uh, you know, the guy who's mixing it, you know, you don't want to come in and... And so, you know, you were hyped up going to this chorus, and another chorus, and you're a little bit not as hyped going into that. Yeah. It, 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 it goes better than Yeah. So, so on that note, like, when you get a song, like, usually I know that I send you the song a couple days before or whatever, but, like, if you get a song, even from, you know, even from your guys... Um, you know, in in the band, and they're trying to learn a new song. Like, how do you how do you go about picking parts for it? Do you just kind of listen to it until you feel something, and and then you just kind of try? Honestly, like what I, I kind of have a, a little routine that I always do with all of them. Like, I'll listen to it five times back, back, back. And I know many drummers who do the same thing, but they'll listen to it twenty times. But I'll listen to a song like five times in a row, just right back, to back. Without and the next thing, I'll I'll. Yeah, without, like, just, you're just sitting there listening to it, not even thinking about parts yet. Like, I, I'm really big on just letting a song, you know, people don't give their subconscious enough credit, because you memorize a lot more stuff and you, and you don't even realize you're memorizing it, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I take that approach where I'll listen to it five times in a row, you know, and right after that, I start listening to the lyrics. Like, I really like to listen to vocal phrasing. Like, I'm a big player off of vocal, yeah. you know, Guitar riff, guitar riff, and vocals, I really love to play off of because I feel like it gives that a bigger dynamic. So, usually I'll dissect that. I'll even listen to the lyrics. Because, you know, at the end of the day, I really, you know, my goal is obviously to put out the best product, but it's too music. Like, uh, a big part of it is uh, I like to listen to the lyrics. I like playing off the lyrics. And, and you know, a lot of times you can find little few secrets in, in words what the artist is saying, you know. They could be talking about, you know, being down or going down. This is just an example. And you may, you may take that and be riding on a board song instead of just riding on a hat. Yeah. You know, little dynamic things that you can you can take away from just just lyrics and stuff before any other instruments really come into play, you know? That's, there's a name for it. It's called prosody, and that means... Um you can sound all smart telling people. Uh, prosody means uh, like cohesiveness between lyrics and music. So, like in uh, you know, Save Me San Francisco, where he says, "I've been stopped," and the whole band stops. That's yeah, you know. And then exactly what you're talking about when someone's you know talking about 
um, going down, and then, you know, you do a fill that's like, you know, and it goes down the kit. It's like, that, there's something to be said for that, you know? Um, yeah. And it, it's kind of like, like you said, like subconscious, like you don't really, you know, it's not like, oh my gosh, that's so deep. It's not anything like that. It's just like, there's something to be said for the tiny bit of cohesiveness there. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's like your brain almost kind of expects the music to be cohesive and that's just one more way that it naturally is. Yeah, it does. I mean, it, it, it adds like a feeling. So, uh, you know, so you listen to it five times and then you start listening to the words, and then you start, you know, listening to guitar riffs and stuff like that. Well, how do you, you know, how do you just finally sit down and then start building, like, do you start building it just kind of from the, from, like, cr- chronologically, like, from the verse? You just listen to it a bunch of times and start doing passes, or? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the times I'll be listening to it, and you just, being a musician and playing so much music, I mean, you're going to have ideas that just start forming. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, uh, so, like, several different studio sessions that we've had before, like, either the guitarist will have a rhythm in mind, like, you can tell with that, you can tell where a person wants to go. Yeah. You know, if you really read into a song, you know where they want to go. You can feel especially where they if want they're, to go. if you're fortunate enough to have them there, you can, like, read body language and stuff. Oh, exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's as big a part of it as anything, you know. At the end of the day, you know, you... I always want to do, you know, you want to add your signature. You want to feel like you're playing your best with, with what you've got, you know, with what you can do. And a lot of it is, is blending, you know, simplicity with being creative while being simplistic. I mean, that's, that's how, that's how, you know, I do things. You know, if you've got a guy saying, man, on a lot of notes, great. You can play a whole bunch of notes, you know, but I think you want to serve the song as best as you possibly can. Because, so, yeah, sometimes day, people don't know what their song needs. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, yeah, so, it, that's why they that's have. That's why you've got to have a strong. You know, you really have to have a strong foundation of, uh, uh, you know, a big musical background. I tell a bunch of drummers, you know, you've got a bunch of a bunch of artsy players out there that they just, you know, I don't like to listen to music. I like to create my own music. I'm like, okay, you know, good, keep coming up with ideas because you're going to run out sooner or later. You know, it's. It's imperative for us to listen, you know, to other people's music because it's just inspiring in so many different ways. You know, everybody steals stuff from everybody. I mean, that's just the industry. You know, it's just finding that that groove, you know, that rhythm that that just that fits a song perfectly. You know, that's and that's my angle. You know, I'm not going to be the biggest chops guy. You know, my 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 thing. You know, Josh Roach's thing is sit back in the pocket and making a song better. You know, that's how yeah. I do things. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was like that one time that you and I were playing. You and I were working on that song, and, and I was like, man, that groove is awesome. What is that? He's like, well, uh, it's actually from a Katy Perry song. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was like, what? Exactly. <laughs> I was and like, we did it. There, she, hers was like sampled drums, and, you know, and the Earth is Real kit, and it, like, you can you can take stuff from all kinds of genres as a drummer, any rhythm, even like the simplest. Like, you can listen to, like, those old, old blues recordings with, like, one guy singing and, like, clapping. You know what I mean? Like, anything. Yeah. Anything. Like, anything with a rhythm at all, a drummer can take a beat from. Um, yeah. Whether it's I mean, dubstep silly, or it, classical it, or... <laughs> yeah. I mean, exactly. As silly as it is, man, like, there was this groove that I, I love. 
just a little side note. Like, I love practicing, like, really complex rhythm. Yeah. Like, not really rhythm, you know, like, I, I love playing really complex time signatures because I just, I feel like it, it, it helps you get get a better tune to play simple, you know, to play four four. So, it's like, tun- silly, yeah, like man, tuning your muscle memory or something. Yeah, it, exactly, man. I mean, it's like lifting weight. I mean, that's all it is. It's all muscle memory at the end of the day. But, I mean, silly stuff, like I'll lay in bed at night and I'm sleeping, and the washing will be making weird noise. But there's rhythm in everything, you know? So I'll derive that. I'll be like, okay, I got that. I'll try to count silly things out like that, you know? Yeah. Like driving over bumps on the highway. If you've got those little graded parts on the highway. Yeah. I mean, it, finding rhythm in everything, man. It, it comes back to just being creative and, and practicing, you know, things that, you know, trying to, you know, to manifest things that you hear in your head, trying to bring them onto the drums. And, and just, yeah, and just living a life of creation, like, you know what I mean? Just, just constantly loving what yeah. you do and... Because that's true. I mean, there's a lot of people that do music that don't really live it. You know what I mean? Like, they just kind of do it on yeah. the side. And that's hard. That's hard. I mean, it's okay. It's not a problem. But it's like, if you really want to get really, really good at it, and you get really, really good at music, you have to do more than just play. You know, it's like your whole life. It, it becomes like a lifestyle. When you eat, when you sleep, when you, you know, I mean, you're always thinking about it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know what, it... It, it's not that we chose it, you know, it, it chooses us because, I mean, why in the world would I want to wake up at 2.30 in the night and go and practice yeah. and practice that? I mean, it's that, those are musicians, those, it's, in, it's who they are, it's their DNA, you know, I don't have yeah. to force anything, it's just always there, you know, some musicians have that, you know, and they're blessed and those are the ones who end up usually turn the world around because of because of, because of know, that curse yeah. <laughs> what some would consider a curse is yeah. you know what others would consider the reason why john bonham drums always sounded huge because he had this gift of rock drumming straightforward what, yeah i mean whatever it was i yeah. mean he did he broke all the rules i mean he tuned his kit wrong compared to what you're supposed to tune it he, you know, you know, I mean, he, t- he yeah. used huge, huge drums, which like no one was. And, you know, he had them tuned all like the toms were all tuned like inverse. So like the top head was really loose and the bottom head was really tight. And so it'd be like, boom, and then have this weird little like drop off. And, you know, but yeah, like his mindset for tuning, like he was, yeah. I know he's the greatest rock drummer of all time, in my opinion, but he was really into big band. So that's how he would tune his drums. Like, he was big band drumming, but he would bring it into a, uh, a rock setting. And everybody, the common conception that drives me crazy that I hear all the time is, is kids these days, they're like, I want a bottom-sounding kick drum. I want that big bottom-sounding kick drum. Yeah. Yes, it was big, but they, they always wanted, like, really warm. And that's not what John Bonham's kick was. Like, he lined his bass drum with strips of aluminum. Like, it was really bright, you know? A lot of it was just in the room mics that they used. Yeah, he put that felt strip in it. And yeah. it, was, it was dead. It was not like, boom. It was like, gah. I mean, it was like a yeah. hit. It was like a hit to the chest. And it was, well, and see, he always used the huge, what was it, like a 26? And yeah, twenty six fourteen. Yeah, and, and so when they have that short depth, it has this really short sustain, and it's just like a punch, not like a boom. And yeah, but yeah, you're totally right. I mean that that 
sound like on Cashmere or whatever is like the room mics distorting, not his kick drum just yeah. sounding like distortion. It's, I mean, that's that's the room mics. And sure, when you play, that's the reason John was so interesting with that. I mean, any interviews I've read about him in the studio, they're all like, yeah, he just knew something about how drums should sound in a room, not just, you know, with mics up close, but like he knew that when you put the when you tuned the drums like that and that when you, you know, were at a gig and you had this super super tight huge kick drum that you know, you would get get this punch that, you know, would sustain in the room. You don't need it to sustain on the drum. Instead, he'd rather have the sustain from the room. And yeah, that just—that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I agree, man. I and his—I mean, he—he he had what those? Uh, what was it? Would he? Did he play Ludwig kits or? Yeah, he was a big Ludwig guy. And then he played. He had the acrylic, and then he also had his normal one. Yeah, he had a big maple kit that he used, uh, like fourteen by eleven rack tom. You know, sixteen, sixteen, eighteen, eighteen. You know, four toms, twenty four, sixteen. We played a fourteen six and a half superphonic that you know I mean you yeah. constantly. So uh, he had the big piece of the light orange, you know, amber colored kit. Yeah, same sizes. Okay, so speaking of that, one of the hardest things I think for a lot of like novice studio engineers and or drummers is like figuring out what drums actually sound good recorded. So, like, how do you pick out drums and cymbals for a song? Start with drums. We'll go on to cymbals in a sec. Man, a lot of it, like you said, if you if you played your drums long enough, you're going to kind of, yeah, a lot of it comes into experience. You know, for me, I went into the first several sessions I did with the kid that I played on all the time, and I thought it was going to great, it sounded great live, and you go in and stuff like cardboard. Yeah. It sounded awful. And you have to go in knowing that, you know, you're going to have to tweak some things. Stuff is going to sound, you know, awful to your ear when you're sitting in the room. It's going to come out beautifully when it's recorded through the microphone. Yeah. And you've got to be willing to try different things. You've got to be willing to, uh, you know, to use different things, different drums, different sizes that you're not used to playing. I mean, it, it just comes back to a lot of, you know, trying to say like I view honestly and sometimes you can make any drums sound good yeah. yeah it comes back to tuning it comes back to head it comes back to microphone I mean you know I, I've played on a percussion plus kit before just a smaller lowering kit <laughs> that just sounded unbelievable I mean that's just that's how it is I mean you've got to be open to this yeah I have I have experienced it. Drummers will come in and they're obsessed with their snare drum or their hi hats or whatever, and you put them on, you put them on the record and it's just like, oh my gosh, those hi hats are louder than everything. Like yeah. I I can't even control them. You know what I mean? It's like sure they sound good, but geez, they're they're like the thickness of like like a cigarette, <laughs> like like a quarter inch thick. You know. Then you get the opposite. Then you get guys that will come in and they'll just hit all the drums too hard and the cymbal's not hard enough and it's like can you not can you not hear yourself like can you not hear the balance you know what i mean i i yeah. think that's one of the reasons that i like your playing so much is that you can sit there without he without headphones and you know when the kit sounds balanced yeah because you listen to yourself i feel like a lot of drummers don't listen to themselves <laughs> they like avoid it like in denial yeah, I know I did for the longest time. I thought it was really good. And then I actually started did listening to myself. And 
I would tumble quite quickly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like a guitar. Uh, the same thing happens with guitar players. The same thing. They listen to themselves and they're like, "Man, I am awesome." And then they go to a concert and they hear someone playing a tube amp and they're like, "Oh my gosh, tube amps are great." <laughs> And, and then yeah. they're like, "I hate, I hate my Line Six Pod." <laughs> then they trade in their, they trade in their Line Six Pod, and then they get you know like some awesome like basement or something like that. And then they're like, "Oh my gosh, I can finally understand." And you know, it's a growing process. Drummers aren't going to immediately you know flock to awesome. They're going to suck for a while. It is, you know, like my sound. I mean, my sound has changed so much over the last just five years. You know, like I finally realized. You know, I'm not going to be the next Buddy Rich. I'm not going to be the next, yeah. you know, Chops Monster. Like, what do I do good? What does Josh do good? You know, and, and it's finding your niche. It's finding out who you are in the position and what you can do. And then, and then, like, really attacking it. Really trying to perfect it. You know, light years away from ever being where I want to be, you know. But it's that one drive to be, you know, the best at what you offer. You know, yeah, and that, it, it comes back to play. I mean, it comes back to studio playing. Like, uh, I, I feel like I'm a lot better since the first time that I drummed in the studio with you. Yeah, because I feel like I've grown. You know, you. you I, I heard one of my favorite artists ever. You know, I, I gotta disagree with a little bit on this, but your know, Radiohead lead singer, like after they're done recording, after they're done with that, they never listen to it again. Like yeah. they never want he never wants to listen to anything he's ever recorded again. Yeah, that's you like know, I remember hearing like, Tom Cruise saying that about his movies. He's like, I can't watch my movies. It makes me too like self conscious. Yeah, and I just think there's something good about that. I think there's something good about being self conscious because you know, you're able to learn from, from little things that you never knew existed. Yeah. You know, little things that you're playing. Like like my big thing was really learning to be dynamic in contrast to uh, you know, in group playing, like with your high at the snare. Yeah. You know, learning learning how it's going to come across to the microphone. Learning not to hit so hard when you're excited and your adrenaline is running. Yeah. You know, like that, that's very, very, very important when you're, you know, drumming in the studio. It's not letting your adrenaline get stuck because it's so easy. Yeah. You know, we love music. We love playing. It's, it excites us, you know, and it's learning to have, yeah. you know, to have sense of control. So for you, whenever you, like, I know that for, whenever you usually come to the studio, um, you know, you a lot of times will play the kit that I have set up here, um, but like snare drums, what, if you're, you know, if you're to go to a session and they already have a studio kit that like they've picked out for the song, let's say, and they say, okay, we already know the kit, but go ahead and bring some of your snares. Like what snare drums would you bring to a session? Oh man, um, honestly, like go to is just my 14, six and a half, uh, just Ludwig Superphonic. It's the most versatile snare ever played. I mean, the most recorded snare drum, one of the most recorded ever, and there's a reason for that. I yeah. mean, it just works. There's two, yeah, there's tunes where we've done like group stuff where you just tune really low and just get that fat, nasty sound. Or there's tunes, you know, that we've tuned it really high and you get this most punky, I mean, you just, I mean, yeah, it's for yeah. anything. Almost you know? like a, almost like acrylic sound. That's one of the snares, you know. That just that I always start with that. Like that's the first one in my mind, you know. And then it's I not that it's not that expensive different. either. The one, the new one that they make is still good. You don't even have to, you know what I mean. Get some old vintage one or whatever. The new one they make is still great. Exactly. And, and you know, you've got a lot of guys that are gearheads, and, and that's fine because I, I'm probably consider myself a gearhead too. But 
like reissue stuff that comes out today. I mean, it, granted, if it's a wood snare drum, I can see bits of it if it's spinach and stuff. But some of the metal snares that are out, the reissues, it, it sounds just as good. I mean, they sound, I mean, sound better. That's because at the end of the day, technology changed also, you know? Yeah. You know, with recording, mics, all that good stuff. Yeah. What about uh, what about like a wooden snare? Like what what's your probably your go to wooden snare? Yeah, go to uh, a lot of it comes back to the you know getting what you're going to use for the song. Uh, favorite uh, had a uh, fourteen by eight um, from the drum company that I'm with that I don't think I've got to use yet. No, um, it's just a it's just a six by maple, gorgeous sound. I mean it, the tuning range on it and for being so deep you get just even you get that full body crack if you tune it up you get that sincerity nasty when you tune it low <laughs> yeah. um, you know the good mid-range snares I've got a 14.5 EW that I took such a long time um, also back to the metal I've got a, uh, a newer 14.5 and a half being hammered uh, brass snare like my big thing man I love articulate drums yeah. like I love to have buzz because I play a lot of ghost stems I mean, it's just that kind of my natural playing. So I want that to come across. And and a lot of it comes, you know, it ends up being, you know, what snares you're using, what, you know, bottom snares, I guess, snare wires. Um, and the way you do it, that's the way I love to, you know. So another big interesting thing that I'm always... I'm always interested by when you come in, but I know that also a lot of other drummers are interested in, is like, what's the best, you know set of symbols for the studio because the studio you know live you can get away with quite a bit but in the studio you, you the symbols are picked up like you know under a microscope you know what i mean um yeah because you know like you said you can kind of make drums sound better by tuning them right using new heads and and using the right heads you know, using the right thickness of heads and stuff like that but like you can't make symbols sound better so like how do you pick how do you pick symbols for a song Dan, it, it honestly, it, it's the song. Like, you've got, you know, you use symbols that are very, they're real mid-rangey. You know, you've got great, great tone, great cut to them. Like, I come from a, a more warmer-sounding symbol, you know, kind of environment. But the symbols that I'm interested you know, and, and at the end of the day, like, I think it's kind of repetitive, but it depends on the song, you know. It depends on, for a couple of, uh, you know, stuff that we've done in the past been you know, kind of faster rocky yeah. I mean it's good to use those symbols that cut through and have a good mid range to high range yeah. you know that that will be able to cut through guitar and in the tone and stuff we've done pop stuff or like more group stuff where it's very important to have kind of warmer sounding tones with that longer blend sustains, very yeah. well you know just blend very well with music it's not going to be too abrasive you know, you don't want to go into a jazz session and use the big ping rack. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of the mentality that you have to have, you know? It's like, if you have, you know, like, bright, twangy guitars, you need a cymbal that is either going to be total contrast or total competi- competition with it, in a good way. Yeah, like, exactly. You either exactly. have to have it, like, totally opposite, like, did a, I did a seminar about microphones, and one of the things I remember talking about was, like, okay... These days in microphones, you can't waste your time like spending an hour and a half like trying different mics out on a snare drum. Like you and I both know that sessions can't be like that. They just can't. Like you kind of either have to find a contrasting mic. So like if you have like a bright snare drum, you either have to find a bright mic to match it 
or a dark mic to contrast it. And that's yeah. kind of how I feel with, with cymbals, too. Like, you either have to have something that's going to be able to compete with the guitars in a good way or completely go the opposite way and stand out from them. Yeah. It's funny. It's almost like the brightness of the cymbal is cohesive to the sort of brightness of the song. Like, yeah. I, like, like if I the song is kind of a happy mood, then you might want brighter, kind of more lively cymbals. And if the song is more of a mellow, kind of melancholy or, or even sad song, you might want darker cymbals. I mean, you know, that sounds like a simple, a simple way, but it might be at least a good starting place. Oh, it is. It is. That's, you you kind of have to have that going in. You know, that song. I mean, that's the best way to do it. You know, to have what's your mood of the song? You know, just for what kind of song it's going to be. And a lot of it, a lot of it will work out. Things, and it doesn't always go that way. You know, I look at I look at some of the killer stuff, and he uses massive, massive symbols that are really dark and warm. When you would yeah. assume that he would have really bright nothing but it works for their music yeah yeah so what what are you go what are your go-to sizes for symbols so you got like what do you use like hats and then you got left crash right crash ride and then yeah just like what what's your symbol setup right now like my go-to setup like I, i'm a real minimalist when it comes to symbols you know like i i like finding that good mid-range lower range like having another crash that complements it then like I have a, a love having a ride that that it feels like it could be a guitar I don't know it's, it's a weird weird way to put it but like I, I view those instruments you know those symbols being you know different voices you know when you're playing because I mean obviously that's what they are you know so my my actual simple setup right now I'm playing in simple simple I have a pair of uh, 15 inch traditional special jazz hats they're really they're they're warm, but yet they still got a little bit of a bite because they're thinner. Yeah. Um, they really come across great in and it sounds silly, but I have three rides for uh, for simples right. I have a uh, a twenty two. I take that back. The twenty two inch. It's the size that that blows people's minds away. But I have a twenty two inch dark crash that's made by a simple their traditional line. Um, I have a 22-inch um, signature Blackman home ride that's a little bit darker. It's got a lot of wash to it, so it falls into that lower, you know, lower-sounding uh, frequency range like that you would get from Crash. Yeah. But I also love having that option of having a second row you can ride them, you know, not ride on the bow, but just riding on top of different, you know, a different sound if you can use reverse or something. Yeah. And the ride that I'm using is massive. They, uh, the big Joey Warrenker signature ride that is simple. Um, it's very, very fierce, big definition, but yet still has the wash and that kind of tone, that creepy kind of classy feel that can go underneath that I love these. My symbols are weird sizes, and they just work for some reason. I, I was kind of worried, but... But I've got, what, the 15 and the 17, you know, and it's like those are smaller. I mean, usually people on a kit are having either 16, 18, or 20 crashes. And, yeah. you know, but having the 15 is, I mean, that's literally just like a half an inch bigger than the hi-hats all around, you know. You wouldn't think that they w- that it would sound that big and full, but like once the mic's on it, it's like it doesn't have to sound like, you know, a gong. I mean... It, the mic's going to pick it up great. So, And especially another reason people don't realize that is because the sheer distance between the overheads and the drums 
is greater than the distance between the overheads and the symbols. And so, like, you know, the symbols might be two feet away from the overhead mics, two or three feet away, but that means that the symbols are, you know, three feet up from the drums. So they're, it's six feet away from the snare, but only three feet away from the symbols, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. and all the room mics, too. The room mics pick up a ton of cymbal wash, almost too much. And so you're going to get a lot more cymbal than you know what to do with, usually, in the studio, usually. And so it's kind of like, it's it's better to... And then another thing, I mean, where's the line that you say that you draw? In, like, do you feel like you play cymbals quieter in the studio? Uh, I feel like I play them. You know, I, I think I hit cymbals differently in the studio, you know? Hmm. It's it becoming aware of, you know, a lot of it's experience, and we come back to that, but a lot of it is knowing how to hit them. You know, I don't hit cymbals with a ton of energy when you're in the studio because, you know, a, a lot of times, going to be horrible during recording. Yeah. So I, I view that my techniques change. Like, no, I don't hit near as hard as I do live, but yeah. oh, I don't just tap. You know, there's a, there's a real common ground between it, and you've got to find it's it's a, a good it. It is a sweet spot. That. It is a sweet spot. I mean, once you once you hit, I mean, we did you and I did that video when we did that country tune, and I and I put the camera in there, and I recorded you, you know, in the drums, and then I recorded me. Um. And I remember watching you play, and I just remember thinking, you know, it looks like you're hitting everything, like, the same volume. Like, you're not hitting the cymbals particularly super loud, or the drums particularly super loud. You're just, it's a very evenness, you know what I mean? It's like, you hit the cymbal, and it looks natural. It doesn't look like you're, you know, rearing back, like, about to crash the cymbal, you know? Yeah. Um, it's like, it's like when you hit the cymbal, it looks just as natural and relaxed as when you hit the hi-hat, as when you hit the snares, when you hit the toms. Um... It, it And it definitely translates, you know, it translates into a balanced kit sound to where it's not so much about like, you know, oh yeah, I'm going to go into this huge build and hit this crazy crash. And it's like, oh great, now the engineer can't do anything about it. Um, you know, it's like, okay, that's another thing too. And I know that you know this, but I'm saying it for the listeners mainly is that like, let's say a drummer, you know, plays plays a little wimpy on a turnaround and doesn't hit crazy crashes. You can always add cymbal hits later. Like... You can always add, like, cymbal swells and stuff. We did that a ton on Sarah's stuff. Um, yeah. Where, where, like, you just played straight, and then, you know, you just hit the ride or the crash on one, but then I did a cymbal swell with a sample up to one, you know, starting on three, and then of the previous measure, and then it just swelled up and then nicely flowed over into the next measure. And it's like, that happens. That happens a lot, you know? And, it, and, and you know, if you get all caught up on samples, then just have the drummer record it, you know, as an overdub. But it's like, that stuff is totally doable, and that allows the drummer to just play a little straighter and just enjoy it a little more rather than trying to, like, create the dynamic instead of just, like, let the dynamic happen. I noticed that a lot of your fills in the studio stuff, um, I'll probably play a little clip of it, a lot of your fills are, like, sort of like little accents rather than fills. Like, you'll be on the kick, snare, and hat in the verse, and you'll do just, like, this little, like, linear thing for, like, half a measure, you know? Yeah. Um, where it's like, it's not really a fill. It's almost just like a little accent. Um, and I, I think that's important. I think drummers get too caught up in, man, I got to play my toms and my cymbals everywhere, you know? Exactly. And they don't just like, exactly. they don't just like do a different little beat for like two measures. Cause that can be a fill. Um, I think a lot of drummers do get carried away. I think they try to play too hard and they don't just listen to what sounds good. And I know that when, when you play it, you can tell that you listen to the song a lot. Because 
you know, the way you move, the way you groove with the song. Um, it's just obvious, you know, it, it's almost like, like you said, I really like what you said. You said, um, you know, I like to come into the studio and make the song better, you know, the biggest yeah. point, <laughs> you got to make the song better with the drumming and not make it worse. Exactly. You've got to come in with uh, an attitude of, you know, you've got to be a controlled player, you know, you've got to have consistent you. I mean, if, you, if there's anything I could tell any of these drummers out there, like, have consistent right? you know? It just makes things so much easier, you know? You have all the chops in the world, but if you don't have, you know, that simplistic mindset, you know, when you're playing a song, you know, to be able to have those consistent dynamics, you know, you're going to have more problems than you don't do it, either from the artists themselves or from the engineer, you know? Well, you and I have talked about it before, like, um, you know, there's like this curve that like, you know, goes up and then back down that's like a, a, a chart of like talent versus complexity. And it's like as a musician yeah. as a musician gets better and they start going up the curve, they start playing more complex stuff. But then as they keep getting better and you keep going on and you keep getting better and better and better, eventually you actually start playing simpler. And because it's like the simpler stuff usually sounds better, but that it's the level of perfection of the simple stuff. You know what I mean? Like you have to play the simple stuff perfect. And it's very seldom that you have a drummer that is on pop radio that's playing super complex stuff and it sounds good. Yeah, you know, a lot of it I view as, like, I view the, you know, drummers just come into things thinking, like, oh, I make the beat, like, I keep the time. But, you know, I really like to view things like I'm a musician just like everybody else is, you know? It's like I can come up with a drum riff, so to speak. You know? Yeah. Just yeah. the same way a guitar could. Yeah, it's kind of funny because, like, you know, in that song that we did, and I, I really want to put a clip of it in. I probably will. The guitar that I'm playing is going dun dun ga da da dun ga da dun dun dun, and it's really twangy and bright. And that's like exactly what you're doing on the hi hat. Yeah. It it totally sounds killer because it's like you and I are in tune, and and it's like we're playing off of each other. And it's like, is the guitarist playing off the drums or is the drummer playing off the guitarist? I love that. You know, it's like you don't know. Yeah, I do too. But, like, what is it that really makes a successful drum session to you? You know, I, the first thing I can just uh, the drummers who really want to do studio stuff, um, like, my rules, you know, you've got to check your ego at the door. You've got to realize that you're not inventing the will. You know, you're not reinventing anything. You know, you've got to go in with an attitude of, you know what, I want to help this person. You gotta seriously have a helping attitude. You know, I want to go in this person. I want to help them make this song as good as I possibly can on my end. You know, and that's you know, you gotta go in with tools. You've gotta go in with the right gear. Okay, the right. You know, that you've got to do your research. You know, yeah. even if you don't have, if you get a call like today, like I got a call today. I need to go to a session. Like. I want to know everything I can about the session. And as soon as I get there, I want to meet the person. I want to learn about where they're coming from. I want to learn about where they're coming from with the song. You know, it, it stuff that goes so much further than just listening to the song. Because, yeah. like, that is as important as you know, got to you know, have your foundation. All right, so that is uh, great info that we have with Josh. Um, you know, and, and I... 
I'm sorry about some of the scratchy audio, and I know it's hard to understand them at some points. Um, you know, you might have to go listen to it again. But he's got some great things to say. I, I love Josh to death. And, I mean, I know that I wish I could have had him in the studio. But, um, you know, he's he is so busy playing all over the U.S. and uh, playing in studios. Um, you know, that's almost like a legitimizing factor of his interview is that he, he lives 20 minutes from the studio and could not make it to my place. Um, just because. So, <laughs> you know, it's tough. It's tough for him to get in. But um, next show, which we'll be releasing uh, very soon in the next couple days, will be with Les. Now, I actually did get to get Les in the studio. Les is my session bass player. Uh, he actually did get to come in. So that audio is a lot clearer. Um, so, yeah. Then after Les, we'll be talking to Ross about keyboards, and then we'll be talking to me about guitars so stick in for the next show in the next couple days